Hallelujah. I'm glad that you're here this morning. As this is time change and we spring forward, there's something about this time of year that there's an anticipation. And not only is there an anticipation of not com- maybe coming out of the cold into the springtime, but of new birth. And uh, I-, I believe that there is uh, a new beginning for some people that are here this morning. And as we talk about the series that we're in, 90, it's just the wonderful things that God has planned for all of us this year. Do you agree with that? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this morning and being able to come together and hear your word. Father, apply your word to our lives that we're more than just hearers, but we're doers of your word. Father, this morning as we're going through your life and just, just Jesus' life and how as he came into this world and, and eventually will become the sacrifice for the world. But God, that we can rejoice as we're hearing again the story that resonates in our life. God, thank you for that. Amen. Amen. This morning, as you heard just a minute ago, we're in a series called The 90. And 90 days of leading up to the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And this, as, as, as a believer, this means so much to us. As we kind of take the, the journey to the cross, to, to realize of all the things that Jesus did because of his love for you and me. You know, when we talk about him being our sacrifice and our sacrifice for sins, and as we talk about this, it, it's amazing that one of the, the professions that are in our world today that are probably the not as appreciated, you know, as, as could be, are the emergency medical technicians, the METs. And it's just amazing when you think about it, as they show up on a scene of tragedy a lot of times and, and they go through a process of, of taking care of the person that is in need. The one thing that sometimes we don't really recognize immediately is they're not on the scene uh, and, and they don't come on the scene to judge who was at fault. Or they, they don't come on the scene to say, okay, this is what should have been done, and because you didn't do this, I'm not going to take care of you and you, and oh, so you. But they just show up and they go to work. And, and this morning, I, I want that to kind of play out in the today's message. Um, in the week's previous to this, and, and we've started, and it's a 10-week series, but we, we've been talking about how when Jesus showed up on the scene, he, he showed up to do something brand new. This wasn't an addition to something that was already going on, but this was something so brand new that a lot of people couldn't get their mind around it. And sometimes we, in today's world, that we look back on them and we kind of can easily criticize them, but, but I want you to see that this brand new thing that Jesus is coming and really delivering to the world is something that they're, they're, they're getting their mind around. And today we're going to be talking a man, about a man that they kind of, you know, he, he, he's not criticizing. He's not, uh, he's not really negative in any way, but he's just questioning. He, he's a seeker. And he, he's saying, you know, I, I just, I, I can't make it all work, but can, can you just explain it to me? And, and before I begin this message, I want you to just kind of recognize that maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you, you haven't had it all figured out, or maybe you, you kind of say, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really get it. That, that's okay. 
we don't come and make Jesus the Lord of our life just because of faith, but through faith. That He is who He said He was and that He can do what He says that He can do. When we think about Jesus coming and giving us a new covenant, a new agreement between God and man, a new commandment, a new movement that was started. And really, when you think about it, it doesn't make sense that a man could show up on the scene and really just turn the world upside down. And again, that's why a lot of people were scratching their heads. Last week we talked about when he came on the scene and he began to say things like, hey, do you know that something greater than the temple is here with you? Now, now these are a group of people that everything hinged on the temple. It was a beautiful building that was built and it was a place that represented the presence of God on earth. Um, and for somebody to show up and say something greater than that is here was sacrilegious. It was either sacrilegious or arrogant or maybe even just insanity. Who are you? And for him to begin teaching that sacred was going to be commuted from a building or a geographical location of Jerusalem and really become mobile, people are going, I don't like that. You and I, today, we, we step into, you know, big word is revelation, of understanding that because the Word of God says that we believe it, but, but to realize that we are the temple. That the Holy Spirit, the presence of God can live inside of us and will live inside of us. But for the people of that time, that, that just was like, are you kidding me? Something that meant so much to us. Something that represented God. Is not necessary. And we talked about last week that really sacred is sitting beside you. You're married to sacred. You're raising sacred in your house. That the people now, that it revolutionized the whole world of thinking that it wasn't just for this group of people, but it was for, the, for mankind. That Jesus came, and now because of everything had changed, and Jesus came to give life into the full, into the those people that would choose Him and to step into believing Him. It just was amazing. And really, when you think about it, not only was it just confusing to some people, but it even went a step further and it became threatening to them. Are you telling me that the things that we believed in isn't going to be that way anymore? To some, it was intriguing. You know, tell me more. Tell me more because, you know, I, I really, I love what you're saying, Jesus. Tell me more. This morning, we're all in different situations and as, as we do life and we do life together, even though that we're together, doesn't mean that we're doing the same thing every day and we have different relationships, we, we go to different places. Most of the time we show up at the same place here on Sunday and we celebrate life together. But this morning, as we're on this march of 90 days to the cross and speaking about this, I want you to think back in this time period that, see, as people saw Jesus come on the scene, they, they assumed a lot of people thought that he was going to really one day, probably during a festival, maybe like Passover, that he was going to 
marching to Jerusalem and declaring himself king. And they were going to repel the Romans out of Israel and set up a kingdom that was powerful, kind of like back in David or Solomon's time. And all of a sudden the world would see them because of who they were. And, and then God would get glory because of that. But to, to stop and begin to think that here's this guy named Jesus, and, and he's kind of something that people really couldn't predict because even though he had all the authority, he, he, the people would say, man, he's got authority the way he speaks. More than even our teachers. What, what's their song? He had all the authority. But at the same time, instead of everybody else, he refused to take charge. He, he would win the crowd, but he re, would refuse the crown. And, and even when he fed the 5,000, he at one time removed himself because he knew, it said, that they wanted to make him king. All of a sudden, 2 plus 2 didn't equal 4 anymore. The thing that was common sense, why is he not doing that? We know he should be doing this. Surely he's going to go into Jerusalem and pull off his robe and have a big M for Messiah. You know. Where's a phone booth? If I could just find a phone booth, I could become Superman. This, this morning, I want you to take kind of a, a snapshot in, in Jesus' life. And this is a time that is very important to us as believers, even though sometimes we don't see it as that. And a lot of people will relate to the story this morning because you've been in a situation just like this. There's a, a man, and his name is Nicodemus. And, and we don't know his necessarily his physical traits, but sometimes we assume of him being a, a part of the Sanhedrin that he kind of had the look. You know, he's probably a little bit older because, you know, by, as we know now that young people don't have a clue. You know, so he's got to be a little bit older. Right? He's got to have a beard because that's wisdom and he's got to have gray. We don't know that, but there's something that goes off on the inside of us that thinks that this is an older man. And he comes to Jesus. If you will, turn to John chapter 3. Today we're going to be talking a little bit more in the Gospel of John than in previous weeks we've been staying in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and but this, this week I want you to see in John chapter 3 this story. In John chapter 3 verse 1 it says, Now there was a Pharisee. Everybody knows kind of that stereotype, that reputation. He's one of them. He's a Pharisee. A man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So we, we don't know, but chances are tradition tells us that he would rise through the ranks in a very powerful group of men, when a club, but it was it was something similar to maybe the parliament and the Supreme Court all wrapped into one. There was some think about twenty seven men, and they would be the representatives of Israel to the Roman Empire. Th these were very powerful men. They had influence. That they loved to wear robes that were flowing so people could see, ha ha, there's one of them. Shh, there he is. He, 
it says in verse 2, he came to Jesus at night. Now again, sometimes when we read the gospel, we read the Bible, it's like looking you know, through a knot hole in a fence. We, we can only see so much in so much time. I, want, I, I just want to say, man, God, let me, let me see the whole picture. But he came at night. Now, a lot of times we, we don't know why he came at night. We know that Jesus was probably a very busy man and, and he had places to go and people to see, people to heal, the world to change. But it kind of alludes itself that he comes at night maybe because he doesn't want to be seen. This is a guy, Jesus, that has caused a lot of trouble, a lot of uproar. He's saying things that are not, you know, predictable. And there's a chance that he comes to Jesus by night just so that nobody will know that he's there. I can assume just in deductive reasoning that here he's come. He's got now an appointment. He's going to meet Jesus at this location at this time. And I, I just have to believe that Nicodemus has all these questions that he's got. And I don't know if he wrote them down, but I'm sure that he's pretty excited. And he's going, man, I'm going to you know, fire off some of these questions and get some answers from him. And then I'll be able to understand myself exactly what I believe and if it lines up with what he's saying then we'll see where it goes from there and tonight a big night I'm going to go and talk to him it says that he goes to Jesus by night and said Rabbi we know that you're a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him now, now, this is a, a, an audacious statement coming from one of the Sanhedrins that says, we know that you're from God. And, and here's a point I want you to see. He says, we know because no one could perform the signs. See, a lot of times we don't hear that what he's saying is we don't, we know that what you're doing is just, woo, I mean, wow, performing some miracles. But when he says signs, it's pointing to something. And, you know, some of us just aren't real comfortable because we just can't make it work. Some are saying you're the Messiah. The Son of God. And that's, that's pretty big. The, the signs you're doing, that they're from God. Now, he goes on to say this. And I love this because Jesus had a way of knowing the people that are going to ask the questions. He knew what they were going to ask a lot of times. So he would say something before they would ask it. And then all of a sudden it would just become a ball, you know, and they just boom. I loved it. Wouldn't you love somebody to be able to come on now? You know, you have all this anticipation of asking questions and, and you kind of got the, if he says that, I'm going to say this. And if I say, but what if Jesus come on your seat and knew what you were thinking? Bada bing, bada boom. All right, we're done here. Jesus replied, listen to how he does this. Verily, Truly, do you remember in the King James? Verily, verily, I say, Jesus replied, Verily, truly, I tell you, no one can see. Everybody say that word, see. See. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. In other words, no one can even recognize. If you even could physically, you wouldn't recognize. You can't see it unless you're born again. See, John the Baptist was preaching 
remember as a, a forerunner of Jesus, that there had to be a repentance in preparation for the new birth. See, here's a guy that's a citizen of the kingdom of Israel that believes that he's born into it. And so I'm sure he's thinking, well, of course. But then he begins to say that unless you're born again, and, and all of a sudden something that if, if you're there, you might have had the same question. Because in verse 4, he, Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they're old? And I'm sure he's pointing himself with a beard on his chinny chin chin. How can someone be born again when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Can, can you see him kind of smiling? Kind of be uncomfortable, kind of awkward. Now listen to what he says. Don't, don't miss this part because he says this. Jesus answered, verily, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God. Did, did you hear something there? He changed the verb. Instead of see, he says, no one can enter into the kingdom of God unless they're what? Unless they're born again. Unless they are born again with water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. See, his point is physical birth got him into the kingdom of Israel. Nicodemus, you know that, right? Just like you and I that were born in the United States are American citizens. But what he's saying here is, Nicodemus, come on now. When you're born into the Spirit, there is something different than just the physical birth into a nationality. He says, you should not be surprised at my saying. In other words, Nicodemus, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you're going to tell where it comes from or where it where it is going, so is it with everyone born of the Spirit. See, God has established and is establishing a new covenant. See, Nicodemus's paradigm of thinking, his frame of thinking, his perimeters, his boundaries were all locked up into, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you need to be part of Israel and you need to understand about the temple. And he's getting this stumbling block in his life that he says, I, I, just, I just can't get over it. And what Jesus is saying is, you have to realize that God is not limited like a man is. He's not limited to the temple. He's not limited just to a nation of Israel. Matter of fact, in the end, the kingdom of God will include every tribe and nation, every kind of person all over the world. It's not going to be just these group of people that are in this little part of geography called Israel. Now, now listen to this. And I want you to put yourself in the place of Nicodemus because he's looking and he's hearing and he's seeing something and he goes, now, Jesus, how, how can this be? He says, he's saying, how can I have missed this? To require a second birth? Now, I want to point out something that a lot of times you might think, but he's not resisting. He's asking himself, he's saying, Jesus, explain to me. Uh, in other words, he's seeking, come on, an answer. But he's saying, you know, with what I've been taught, what I've learned and what I'm teaching, th this doesn't line up. Jesus says, 
You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said. And do you not understand these things? And the, the conversation continues and he, he's scratching his head. And then Jesus kind of takes a turn. And, and I, can, I can imagine, here's this teacher of the law. He starts kind of lighting up because now he can identify because he says this. In verse 14, just as Moses. Okay, good. Moses. I know Moses. The lawgiver, the covenant maker. Yeah, I got him. I've studied him. I know him. Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. Yeah, I remember the story. If you don't know the story in the Old Testament, when they're going from uh, the wilderness, through the wilderness, to the promised land, the Israelites, Moses leads them into a place that is a snake-infested place and bites a lot of people. And after praying, God says, put a, a bronze snake on a pole and lift it up, and all that look upon that will be healed. And a miracle happened. People were healed because of that. And I'm sure Nicodemus is, when Jesus is telling the story, he goes, I know exactly what you're talking about. I get it. I, I remember that story. He says, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, now with what we are reading and what we, or what we don't know was actually being said word for word, the context of this passage of Scripture points to Nicodemus going, what? And if you've ever been in that place, this is where he is. He's going, wait just a minute, let me, let me try to think what you're trying to say here, Jesus. You're, you're saying that just like that bronze snake was lifted up, you're saying something about you being the Son of God and He must be put on a a pole or a Roman crucifix—that—that's a curse. You're talking about the Son of God being cursed. Jesus says, "The Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him." I thought keeping the Torah was going to give eternal life. I'm Israel. I'm part of Israel. I, that's how it's done. Now, now, I want to point out something here as we're in this story and we're reading. Realize this is so new. that This is so revolutionary to the people of this day that, that sometimes we miss it. Much of Jesus' teaching didn't make sense until after the resurrection. A lot of the times when Jesus is talking, he's talking about truths that they will eventually one day have an aha moment and they'll go, wow. The disciples did it. The disciples that were so close to Jesus that watched him, they talked with him, they ate, they watched the miracles. They didn't even until the crucifixion, saw how that all lined up. A lot of times it, it hadn't happened yet. But they were experiencing things and hearing things that later, when it would be replayed, what happened, it would come alive inside of them. Now, let, let me step out of our story for a minute and give you an idea, because a lot of times the writers of the Gospels would actually make a comment 
as they're telling the story that this was something that they didn't understand. So we're in the book of John. I just want to give you an example in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 9, verse 44. This is not part of this story, but listen to it. Luke the writer says, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Then he puts this, But they did not understand what this meant. Do you see how the author put something in there to go, Hey, all my readers that will be reading this or listening to this later, I want them to understand something. During this moment in history when I'm, when I'm explaining what happened during Jesus, they, they didn't get it. So then we step back into the story and I want you to see this. See, here's the, the disciple John and he's telling it in his own words. And what he's telling is, what, is what, how Jesus is explaining it to Nicodemus. And, and here's a guy, how can he possibly understand because it hadn't happened yet? How could John, in the next part of this, in the Gospel of John, know that in 26 words he will pen something that will be passed down through generations? He doesn't even know he's writing the Bible. The Bible isn't written until hundreds of years later when they're all compiled into, in, you know, they're put in a, a golden folder in the Catholic Church and made canon, which means the Word of God. These are the acceptable words of God. So I want you to see that when John is writing this, he's pinning it, realizing, or he's dictating it, or saying it to a scribe that's writing it down in Greek. Why Greek? Because it would go throughout the whole empire. The, the spoken word, the, the Greek language. And how would John know that he's actually going to write something that will affect every person that becomes a believer in Jesus Christ? But during the story of Nicodemus, John wants his listeners in his gospel in the first part in chapter 3 of the book of 21 chapters. He wants it to be in the first part because it's so good that he wants to he wants to tell us, hey, hey guys, hey, before you get to the end of the story, I want you to realize this part right here. It, it is written in a way That you have to stop and say. Matter of fact, the terminology in Greek is not even used until this part in the book of John to describe what he's going to say about God. And as John begins to write this, he continues to look back on that time in history when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. And at that night, and this most influential man of the Sanhedrin has come to meet with Jesus. And in verse 17, he says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Now, I want you to hear this. He did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Now listen, in this passage, He's saying, just like what we said is an EMT, 
an emergency medical technician that shows up and sees a problem and just goes to work. John is telling you and I that lives thousands of years later that the reason why Jesus came is because he saw a problem that the world needed a blood transfusion. He shows up on the scene to give his own blood. And here's Nicodemus as he's listening to this and he's putting it together. And then John writes these 26 words. For God so loved the world that he gave. God loved. And when you love, you give. His one and only Son that who ever believes in Him. Again, you become a Christian by faith, not because of faith. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. You won't be lost. You won't be separated from God. Eternal life equals birth in a new family with the Heavenly Father. If you want to teach your children powerful things of the teachings of the Word of God, that God loved, God gave, we believe, and we receive. And, and, and when I'm reading this, and this morning, when it when somebody comes on the scene and then in an EMT situation and they, they assess the damage and they go to work to, to making it better. They don't criticize why the wreck happened or the accident happened. I've done that. The church has done that. But Jesus didn't do that. Years later, one of the chief Pharisees named Paul comes on the scene and he says, here's the way that I see it. He says, it's like God has a family and if you believe in Him, He chooses you to be a part of His family. That you become part of a, the godly family, the, the eternal family. I wonder how many people at the end of the world will say, I just never pursued it because I didn't get it. But here, here's the difference. We know that the day came where Nicodemus got it. And I, I don't know how, I don't know when he received that wow moment. Maybe it was when, who knows, Maybe it was the day that Jesus was crucified because being part of the Sanhedrin, he was part of the group that was the cause of that. And maybe he's looking over the heads of people as Jesus is put up on a cross and something triggers in his mind, kind of like Moses lifting up that 
bronze serpent. Did, didn't Jesus say something about that back in the nighttime that I met with him? Maybe he started realizing what he was saying. Jesus was saying is he had to die for everybody here, even, even that Roman soldier and for people that will come after us that have sat in a church in Keller, Texas. We know that at the end of the story of Jesus' crucifixion, that Passover is coming, a festival, and they have to bring him off of the cross. And so he's dead, so they don't break his legs, and they, they bring him off, and now where are they going to put him? And some people believe that it was illegal to bury somebody that was taken from a crime, a criminal. But they, they would take the bodies of those that were crucified a lot of times and throw them on a heap where the dogs would eat the bodies. Very brutal. But Joseph of Arimathea, another Pharisee, and Nicodemus, people of influence that I'm assuming got it. And maybe if he, even if he didn't get everything, he realized that Jesus was a lot more than just a good teacher. And the Bible says that he and Joseph go to Pilate and probably had to pay a pretty good bribe to get the body of Jesus. And history tells us that they would take like sometimes a hundred pounds of different spices and things because of the, the, the tradition is not like what we have with the embalming of the body. So that they would take the body off of the cross and, and these men with servants, because it would it, it have to be a whole group of people that would do something this big, and they would they would take, and then they had to decide where would they put the body. And they put them, put Jesus in his tomb. Now, for you and I, we read that story and say, Well, everybody must have been assigned a tomb, but it was very expensive to have a tomb, and usually it was used for the whole family. I just wonder if the wife of Nicodemus went, are you, you're gonna, no, not our, are, are you sure you want to use our tomb? You remember how much it costs? But you, it's for our family. Nick, I know what I'm going to do. They would put the body in until it was secure. Then they would roll the stone. And the stone was there to keep animals out of disturbing the body. They say traditionally that the, the body would decay down to bones and then they would take the bones and usually put it in a, in a, in a process to give to the family in a memorial. But if you rewind all the way back to the place at night where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and Nicodemus is a seeker of saying, just explain it to me. I want you this morning to be in the place of saying, you know what? I believe that Jesus was more than a good teacher. A lot of people stop there. Yeah, he's a good teacher. Some people think that he's just a, a person that has come and gone through history and people put him on a pedestal. But take, in taking the next step, 
to declare that he is the son of God, that he's come to save you, is something a little bit bigger to do. A lot bigger. To make him not only the savior of your life, but to make him Lord of your life. Maybe you're like Nicodemus this morning and you're saying, you know what, Pastor? I want more. I, I want to choose to make Him Lord of my life. I want to invite you to say this prayer after me. Would you just bow your heads this morning? Would you repeat these words? God, I believe that You are the Son of God. Jesus, You came to die for me. My sins are forgiven if I put my trust in You. If I make You Lord of my life. Today is a new day. Thank You, Jesus. Amen. This morning, if you said that prayer, I want to encourage you to make it a point to be a witness of what you have experienced. You know, a lot of times people say, well, pastor, I don't know scripture and verse and where it's found. You know, God never asks us to be an attorney or a defense attorney in his favor, but just a witness. Just a witness of what God has done in our life. To follow his example in water baptism. In the next few weeks, we'll have a water baptism in following Jesus, what we do is we believe that it's more than a symbol. But that you're declaring to the world, if we could get the whole world in this sanctuary, we could. That you would say, I want to make it a public confession that I'm buried in my sins and I'm resurrected in a new life of Jesus Christ. I encourage you to do that. Amen.